Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. Today we welcome Susan Eisenberg. Susan is a poet, visual artist, oral historian, licensed electrician, and resident artist scholar at the Brandeis Women's Study Research Center. Susan Eisenberg was one of the first women to enter the construction industry in the United States and began her apprenticeship with Local 103, of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers in 1978. Her experiences, along with 30 other women who worked as carpenters, electricians, iron workers, painters, and plumbers during that time were the subject of her critically acclaimed 1998 book from ILR Press, We'll Call You If We Need You. The New York Times Book Review declared the title a notable book of the year. This May, ILR Press will be publishing a new edition of this book, along with a new collection of poems by Susan entitled Stanley's Girl. We'll talk to Susan about Stanley's Girl and after the interview, we'll feature Susan reading one of the lead poems from her collection entitled Welcome. Hello, Susan, <laughs> welcome to our podcast. Oh, thanks, glad to be here. We're really excited to be publishing uh, two books in the next coming months. Uh, first will be a reissue of your um, book, We'll Call You If We Need You, Experiences of Women Working Construction. We're excited about that. We're also very excited about your new collection of poems called Stanley's Girl. This new book is, is based and informed by your experiences as one of the first women to enter the construction industry in the U.S. Could you tell us a bit about your story? I think my own story interweaves with history and that civil rights history of the 60s and 70s that really was challenged the country to look at issues of equity and, you know, in particular, like, uh, for what the women going into construction, looking at the gender pay gap. So there was all this effort to open jobs that had historically been men's jobs to, to women and make those open. And um, I had actually applied to become an apprentice electrician in the late uh, 1977 and been told um, uh, that we'll call you if we need you, basically. And that's where the title of the nonfiction book comes from. And then in, in 1978, in April 7th, Carter, President Carter then issued guidelines that opened construction jobs to women and set up goals for having women on, on jobs that had um, federal uh, funding to them and um, also for opening apprenticeships to women so that they would be uh, half of what they were in the workforce. So really geared to making the workforce by, I would say, 25% women. Um, and just that's that very month on the April 21st, I got a call on a Friday to come in for an interview on a Monday and then to be interviewed. And um, that week I was accepted into the program. So all of that happened in that same month that uh, Carter issued these guidelines. So it's very much, um, that history is very uh, strong for me. Um, and then and a year later the, in Boston, there was a Boston jobs ordinance that set guidelines of 10% women on um, jobs that had support from the city. So there was a, a big momentum of opening these jobs. And I think the women like myself who came in at that time really um, thought that there was a very uh, significant change that was happening. And we saw uh, what happened when there was, you know, that external pressure 
my own local, we're very active women's group and we had a lot of support from the local to recruit other women to, um, you know, change policies to be, uh, you know, reshape the industry a bit to have women, you know, that women were, were part of it. Um, so I, we kind of carried a certain expectation <laughs> that, um, you know, West short lived, it was, um, you know, when once Reagan came in that effort stopped, but I think we still really carried it. So I was in a class, um, the first class in my local that graduated women in 82. There were five of us that graduated together and that was happening around the country. And, and that's been sort of a cohort group for me um, really till now. Um, and I was active in the, the trades women movement here in Boston and active with my union and active nationally um, and worked 15 years on Boston construction sites. And then um, I think once I started noticing they really, you know, it took me a while <laughs> that um, it really had that effort hadn't really continued. Um, I started to want to understand that and write about that and began to interview other tradeswomen around the country who came in when I did to understand from their stories why the, the goals of the policy were so different from what had really happened. Women are still less than 3% of the construction workforce. Wow, wow. Um... You, uh, when it, in regards to, you know, you've written about women in construction for several decades. Uh, what, what do you think keeps that material important to write about? Well, I think in some ways it's had its own momentum so that because I write about it, um, there's kind of a dynamic relationship with tradesmen and their families that people share stories with me and share their perceptions or, um, you know, when they think I've gotten things wrong, they correct me and tell me I've gotten it wrong. Um, you know, I look forward to that with these books. Um, so I feel a certain responsibility to those stories. Um, and I kind of tend to think my own story is less interesting than that composite story of trees women. So, and that's what I keep trying to um, uh, understand, like what is the, not, you know, one heroic story or one terrible story, but how does it fit together in one fabric? Um, and I think also I find that even the same story and experience uh, looks different at a different moment in time. So I find that, um, you know, I've been kind of surprised to find that, I guess, that I'll write something about the same incident or person or situation, and it's very different, like from the different perspective of time or situation. Um, and then I think, especially in this moment when um, some of the issues that are really a big challenge in our country, this real persistence of inequalities from gender and race, um, you know, that are so still profound in the workplace. Um, I think, you know, these stories and situations obviously appear in construction and they're dramatic in construction because it's dramatic work, it, buildings go up. Um, and I also think that the people who work in construction, you know, are real problem solvers and you, know, you take plans and adapt them to the situation. Things don't go right, you troubleshoot. Um, you know, people can demolish a structure and, or start from a hole in the ground and put up a whole building that lasts and, you know, have experience working across differences, different trades, different personalities. And, you know, especially if you think of union members, you know, people who bargain collectively and identify in a certain sense as a family, as brothers and sisters, use that language. Um, I think um, all those same problems that are in the society are in the industry and in the unions. And, but I, I kind of feel like there's also all these strengths that with the 
you know, leadership and a long-term commitment, um, you know, the building trades and, you know, particularly union building trades can really, I think, be a leadership in solving those things in the labor movement and in the country. So I keep trying to <laughs> I, um, open those stories up and understand them and understand you know, uh, you know, there's a certain contradiction of, of brotherhood and sisterhood and unequal treatment. Um, so, you know, how does that happen and how do we come to um, enter that and, and cooperate with that? And um, how, do, how do we change that? So um, I guess it's, you know, still seems very, those kind of things seem very strong and very vivid in very construction very strong and very vivid and very relevant to our times. I mean, you've been tackling and uh, grappling with these issues since the 70s, and um, now we see with the Me Too movement. <laughs> your book couldn't have come at a more uh, I... <laughs> uh, perfect time for the, for the political um, atmosphere right now. So I hope it- Right, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's I guess what's, what, what is <laughs> like, like the unluckiness of, or you know, I think there is. I guess one would say the the power of the the moment of that there is a uh, um the, the this it's not that the situations are new, but they're they are getting a a sense of attention and urgency. So so that's a very positive thing. Yeah, they're being heard. They're being heard. Huh. Yeah. And so uh, speaking of that, you know, you there's many ways of being heard, and and you work in multiple genres. You're very creative. Why did you choose uh, poetry for particular material? Well, I had the good fortune to be introduced to poetry as a craft. I mean, I wrote poems when I was a kid, but I didn't really, you know, it was really by instinct and um, <laughs> I would even revise them, but I don't really, you know, didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I was, um, uh, had the good fortune to, to work with Denise Levertov in the, mid 70s and uh for me you know it was a very turbulent time then as well and and poetry was somewhat of a life raft for me that learning that structure and she was really somebody that was very committed to and you know she's a very political engaged poet but really saw that as a a long-term practice and um so there was a certain patience about that so um the times continue to be very turbulent. So I think for me, poetry continues to be, you know, just a very concise structure and has that sense for me of a, a life raft and kind of gives a shape and structure and music to what can be chaotic or scary um, uh, or confusing. Um, and I think there's a, I enjoy the looking, finding that emotional accuracy that you can do in poetry, um, there's a freedom to be hyperbolic uh, or just one color, um, there's a freedom to blend stories together, uh, and, you know, like, uh, which you, you know, can't really do in the same way in nonfiction or you, you need to go back and make corrections when you get different information. It's not like fact based, it's um, uh, perception based, I think. So, um, and then I, with art installations, which I really enjoy doing as well, and I'm working now on an online version of a mixed media installation. Um, but there I also feel a responsibility to a certain accuracy of finding, you know, putting elements that might be extreme by themselves in balance with other ones, you know, so balancing, finding the right balance between what's um, to celebrate and what's to um, 
grieve and uh, uh, what's to be upset about. And um, and with poetry, you, you you know you don't you could just go as far as <laughs> like emotionally far. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that's it, it. Just gives a different. Uh, it's a each of them is, are are different ways of uh, I think accomplish different things and satisfy different urges. Nice, nice. Um, now, the, your new book, uh, Poems, Stanley's Girl, who, the question I had was, you know, who is or was Stanley? Well, so I think for, you know, especially women coming into the construction industry, with, you know, especially someone like myself who, you know, didn't, uh, uh, you know, unfamiliar, you're in a, entering a new universe. Um, as well as a new trade and job and tools and everything. Um, so he was really this really excellent mechanic and really, um, uh, you know, uh, principled union member who took me under his wing and really trained me. And I think made it, I would say made it possible for me to succeed um, in learning the trade um very respectful to me as a as an apprentice and uh you know, would give me you know, kind of challenging things to do like ahead of where i was um and you know show me motor prints when i was a first year apprentice and um you know but he also was a, a kind of there's another poem in the book called uh, no one's just one thing you know so he also had his uh complications so i i just why to me, that's the title poem of the book was because it's a it's about both what's to celebrate in the industry and also for me looking at myself and what you know where did I make compromises to um, fit in and succeed and be a team player that I um, you know where I didn't speak up uh, or didn't take action that I might have because I thought it would keep me from succeeding and. I think overall the book is about that, about looking at oneself and one's own, taking responsibility for oneself. And then um, it, through that kind of understanding how you know one can work together with other people to create the changes that we need. Great, great. Well, you, you've been so kind to uh, provide us with a recording of your poem. It's the second poem in, the, in Stanley's Girl called Welcome. And the, the first line is just so powerful everything you thought you knew must be relearned overnight. Could you tell us a little bit about this poem? Uh, sure. So it is about that, um, you know, walking into the, a, a new universe, um, you know, and I think particularly for those of us at the, in the early days, you know, we, I, I mean, I was somebody who walked up on the other side of the street from a construction site. I'd never been on a construction site till I went in to work on them. So um, it, it's, you know, it's a new universe that you're unfamiliar with. It's it's still, it's very fresh to you, and you notice details, and um, and you notice the things you need to do to fit in and belong, and um, uh, maybe also the things you might want to change. Um, so it's that beginning of that induction, um, and, and that you know, not only for construction, but just for you know, um, you know, the middle section of the book also looks at other you know, situations of how do we, we learn to work in a, we learn to belong to a system and how do we both belong to a system and, and, and change it, but um, 
you know, first we have to get to know it. Um, so um, it, 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 the poem Welcome takes some of, you know, moments from my story and from many other people's stories and, um, uh, yeah, kind of enters that, um, the, that induction that just begins it, which, you know, kind of is that first section of the book. Great, great. Well, thank you again for sharing the poem. We'll, we'll end with that. And uh, thanks for coming on to the podcast. And we're very excited to be publishing your book. It should be out in the next few weeks. Great. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you, so, thank you so much, Susan. Thank you, too. All right. Take care. Welcome. Everything you thought you knew must be relearned overnight. How to walk, walk, not trip over cords, two-by-fours, used coffee cups, concrete cores. Walk 40 pounds on your shoulder across rebar or a wood plank. Glide, not wobble, not look like the bounce beneath each bootstep scares you. How to dress yourself to work outdoors all day midwinter and keep warm, keep working, fingers moving, or midsummer with no hint of breasts. How to climb ladders, not a step stool or four-footer, ladders that stretch up two stories where someone's impatient for that bundle of pipe. How to get coffee, hot and how they like it, to a crew spread out ten floors, to carry muffins three blocks in a paper sack through sheets of rain. How to look, to never go back empty-handed, when you're told, grab me a this-that from the gang box, if all you've done is move things around, poke here and there, if you haven't emptied out the full contents so the journeyman won't shame you by finding that this-that in a quick minute after you said, we don't have any. How to be dependable, but not predictable, provocable, not the lunch break entertainment. How to read, Blueprints, delivery orders, the mood on the job, how long it's okay to sit down for coffee, how early you can start rolling up cords, how to do well in school from the back row of a seats-assigned Jim Crow classroom, how to learn tricks of the trade from someone who does not like you, how to listen, to act, don't ask, to duck when someone motions duck, or when someone tells you, don't talk to Zeke, to know what they mean, so you don't even look at Zeke, the ironworker who's always first out, last in, standing there, so four times a day, start, lunch, quit, all the workers walk past him like a sandbar, waves washing back and forth that catches debris. How to pick up the phone and call your friend, the only one of the women not at class, the night the apprenticeship director met you all at the door, carrying the nervous rumor that one of the women had been raped, and you all look at each other, and it wasn't any of you five. How to respond, within protocol, when someone takes your ladder or tools, imitates your voice on the loudspeaker, spray paints cunt on your baker staging, urinates in your hard hat, drives to your home where you live alone with your daughter and keys your truck parked in your own driveway. 
Later, you'll need the advanced skills. How, without dislodging the keystone, to humiliate a person. How to threaten a person. Deftly. So no one's certain for absolute that's what happened. Not even you. That was Susan Eisenberg's poem, Welcome, from her new book, Stanley's Girl. If you would like to learn more about Susan and her work, please visit her website at susaneisenberg.com. And if you would like to obtain a copy of any of her titles, please visit our website at cornellpress.cornell.edu. As a podcast listener, we'd like to offer you a special 30% off online promotion code, 09POD. You can use this on our website. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.